0: Welcome to the 30 Minute Ethical Leader sponsored by the Center for Leadership Ethics in the LR College of Management at the University of Arizona. My name is Dr. Paul Melendez and I serve as the very proud founder of the Center for Leadership Ethics. I'm also an author, professor,
1: and consultant. And I'm Michael Fricke, Associate Director of the Center for Leadership Ethics, faculty member in the Department of Management and Organizations, and Recovering Attorney. So I'll be the
0: play-by-play announcer, and Michael will be doing the color commentary. Today's guest is uh, Mr. Michael Ortega. Michael Ortega is the city manager of Tucson, overseeing its 4,500 employees and $1.7 billion annual budget. Before joining the city of Tucson in 2015, Ortega served as Cochise County Administrator and Douglas City Manager. Ortega graduated from the University of Arizona with a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering and later earned an MBA also from the U of A. He has completed a certificate at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government for senior executives in state and local government and is an active member of the Arizona City County Management Association. As Michael Ortega enters his sixth year as manager of the city of Tucson, he has gained valuable insight on how the organization can best prepare for authentic, diverse, and unique community to be a vibrant and sustainable city for the future. Mr. Ortega challenges his staff in whatever capacity they serve to not only strive for excellence as they deliver the services expected by the community, but also to realize that they are uniquely positioned to be drivers of innovation and economic opportunity that will benefit all of Tucson's residents. Moving into 2021, Mr. Ortega looks forward to implementing the mayor and council's priorities to ensure that Tucson is best positioned to quickly recover from the pandemic. Mr. Ortega, welcome. We are
2: absolutely delighted to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great and thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, again, thank you. The goal of the 30-minute ethical leader is to memorialize the thoughts, learnings, and recommendations of seasoned leaders from our business, government, and nonprofit sectors to help inform ethical leaders of today and tomorrow. With that, let us begin. So, Michael, I have a few questions that we're going to go through. So let me go ahead and begin with the first. What ethical behaviors are required of all
2: leaders? Thanks. So I think first and foremost, uh, openness and transparency, uh, honesty, uh, accessibility, those are all key traits for a leader of today. And those are behaviors that have to come or, or have to be there for a manager slash leader to be successful. And I think that how you approach that, and if it's forced Or if it's not genuine, I think employees or or others will see that. So it's important that in all aspects of your uh, life, and particularly when you're interacting with staff, that you you display that. One of the things that I've done uh, since the pandemic started is I have coffee with Mike. And it's a Zoom or a Teams meeting where uh, we have all employees that are interested uh, come through. We get somewhere between... Uh, 600 and 1,000 employees attend and and uh, listen in or watch Coffee with Mike. It's not just an opportunity for me to talk about what's going on at a city council meeting or talk about you know the issues of the day, but I also open it up to questions. And generally, I schedule that for an hour, and I answer questions for probably anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes of that hour. And it's any question that's on their mind. And and that's tough because you never know what you're going to be asked. And sometimes the best answer is, I don't know, or that's a great question. I hadn't thought about it. Let me, let me think about it. What that does is it really establishes a relationship where your integrity and, and choosing to make decisions where the employees understand you're choosing to do the right thing, even though it's hard, not necessarily what's easy. And you say that you basically can demonstrate that, but you, you're just honest about the approach. Uh, the other thing it does is it establishes that trust, that accountability for the words and actions, you know, leading by example. And so there are instances where during the coffee with Mike, there's a conversation around what led up to a decision. And I will share some of the challenges of making that decision. Although the decision's made, uh, there's an opportunity to have a conversation with employees that wouldn't necessarily be at the table, if you will, when those decisions are made. Ultimately, the empathy uh, of what pressures they're under uh, become key pieces to that conversation and that that demonstration of that uh, that leadership. Uh, Of course, equity, and and I'll come back to that here in a bit, but equity and and how that applies in our government setting, And then the, the generosity of the time you know, your time as a leader uh, and what that looks like in every interaction. So for example, after we'll finish a, a, a meeting, uh, which we all love to do, whether they're virtual or in person, uh, I'll oftentimes ask, what did you learn from this? You know, talk through what you heard, you know, and, and it's kind of the meeting, it's kind of like the after meeting, sort of like the after party, right? And, and what ends up happening is it gives you a chance Uh, to listen as to what the learning opportunities were for those that were involved in that meeting, but also gives you an opportunity to guide and say, well, you actually misread that, or no, you're right on target or better yet. Wow. I hadn't thought about that. And so I learned from that as well. Um, So those are just some, some opportunities. Underlying is a fundamental humility. I think you have to remain humble that you have a role, you have a gift, you have an opportunity, and cherish every single day uh, exactly as that gift.
1: Michael, I want to follow up on a couple of things you said. Um, I think the three of us here can obviously agree that openness, transparency, humility are foundational, vital traits for an ethical leader. And yet, we see so many leaders who uh, operate in secrecy or try to... um, put themselves, you know, in a position of power that where they can abuse people underneath them. And I'm sure that throughout your career, you have faced temptation to, um, you know, not be as open and not be as humble. Um, And I love how you do these coffees with Mike. And I'm just wondering what else you have done throughout your career to try and stay grounded and remember to, to practice humility, and openness and transparency.
2: So that's a that's a great question, and and uh, quite frankly, um, if I decide or if I'm feeling pretty good about myself and my role here, um, I usually get home about six ten every evening, and when I walk in the door, uh, usually my wife Pat will say, "How was your day, honey?" And just before I start to say, you know, it was great, it was hard, or you know, feeling pretty good about myself. Oh, can you pause? And the trash needs to be taken up out. And oh, by the way, the dog droppings need to be picked up. And so, as soon as you finish with those chores, can you come back in and tell me all about your day? So it tends to keep me grounded. <laughs> but 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 in all, and, and that actually happens virtually every week. Um, but but I think that that the temptation is always there, right? And we start feeling good about ourselves in, in a certain role. And and boy, you have all this authority, you have all this power, you have all these things that that uh, some people dream about having, right? Um, but the key piece to, to and I'll use the term, keep it grounded, is recognizing the role. And just as I mentioned earlier, um, I see this as an opportunity to make a difference in people's lives in a positive way. Uh, I'm very spiritual. I pray every day. Uh, helps me to uh, keep things in perspective and make sure that I am doing what is best for all. And sometimes that's that's really hard. Um, and it could be easier if I were just to do things without conversation or uh, to do things that would be of benefit to only me or only a small part of the population. And, and I don't mind telling you that there have been instances where you scratch your head and say, well, wait a minute, you know, why, why are we making this so hard? Well, because it's the right thing to do. And so it could very easily, uh, you know, been a different path to make it uh, easier, if you will, on me or on those around me. Michael, what is
0: the biggest ethical dilemma you faced and what did you do?
2: I'll tell you a year and a half ago, if you'd asked me that, I'd have said something different. Uh, today, I think what I'll tell you is the COVID protocols. The COVID protocols, you know, with the, the uh, pandemic, have been extremely difficult uh, because there, there has been such a divisiveness uh, amongst society, amongst our employees. Uh, there has been um, and, and again, one could could argue, at least I make the argument, that it really isn't about the pandemic. I think it is a fundamental frustration that people have with, and then just pick the list, right? Just go down the list of of stuff that's out there in people's lives. But clearly, when I've had to make decisions that affect people's lives and livelihood, um, that's really tough uh, because on one hand, you know, there's there's all this science, right? And depends on what website you visit or who you ask or who you talk to or what doctor you go and see, they can give you almost the answer that you want. And so ultimately, the the difficulty is trying to do the right thing uh, that resonates with the population in terms of the right thing to do. And I'm not talking about a popularity piece, but truly looking out for all the residents of this community, including the employees. And there are folks that absolutely disagree with wearing a mask, you know. Uh, with the you know receiving the vaccine, they absolutely disagree with it, right? And I can show you the science that says this is the right thing to do, and they can show me the science that says it makes no difference, right? And so ultimately, that dilemma, that that conflict, that challenge is is very difficult, and it is has weighed on me very heavily. Um, I don't mind telling you that um, the fact that we have a deadline looming that if people are not compliant with the policy that's set forth, uh, they will be terminated. Um, I don't take that lightly. That's very, very difficult to know that you're affecting their impact or you're impacting their family, you're impacting their livelihood. Now, granted, I could go down the path and say, but they've chosen that, and and that's true. They have chosen uh, that path, uh, but it's still, weighs heavily on me as the leader of this organization uh, to implement something that does affect people's livelihood. Now, the flip side of that is, uh, I'll call it the positive, which is what are we learning, right? And so part of the dilemma is we get so focused on the negative aspects of the pandemic and the opportunity, right? The challenge, the opportunity is oftentimes not focused upon or not reviewed, not thought of. And so it's really uh, been a challenge to say to folks, look, let's pay attention to the opportunities that this pandemic and and this environment is providing us as an organization, as a people. It's an exciting time to be involved in this. Very difficult from a lot of perspectives. Virtual environment, right? Working from home, working uh, outside of the office environment. Those are things that were unheard of, right? And so how, how do you manage that resource, right? How do you ensure productivity, right? All of these things that we used to have to worry about, well, still worry about, but used to focus on. And now it's, it's just kind of turned it on its head. And so as we go down this path of the pandemic and things that, that uh, are changing because of it, I think the bottom line is how do we take advantage of that And not focus on the negatives, but really see it as an opportunity for those that do want to comply with the policy, that do want to be a part of this organization and and go down that path.
1: I want to follow up on one aspect of what you just said. And, you know, I, I know in public administration, in schools, in faith communities, all over the place, leaders have sort of been between a rock and a hard place in a lot of ways where no matter what decision you make, you will face criticism from uh, one side or the other, right? And I know that um, I, I'm thinking of my daughter's school. Their teachers are, are feeling constantly bombarded uh, by people from one side or another. So when you face this criticism for making decisions to uh, keep your staff safe or to um, you know, implement th- um, the vaccine mandates or something like this, What's your go-to uh, support structure? How do you um, find support when you do face those kind of challenges and criticisms?
2: Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, uh, very spiritual. I pray a lot. Uh, I pray every day, um, and that that is really the foundation for my ability to do this. Um, I think when I look at you know, who do you share, who do you talk to? Um, you know, I've been married for going actually in two weeks. It'll be 41 years, so I do have a, an amazing support structure at home. Um, I would not be sitting here were it not for my wife Pat. Uh, she's an amazing individual and, and provides me that grounding, as I mentioned. Which, by the way, is is not just about uh, Uh, doing the household chores, but truly an opportunity to bounce around thoughts and ideas. The the difficulty, I think, in these types of roles is you really don't have uh, peers that you can tap on or or even mentors that you can tap on on a regular basis, like a daily check-in, right? Um, And that makes it hard sometimes because you are going down this path. uh, You do the best you can and you live with it. And that's why decision making by an individual uh, can take a different toll, right? And and it it takes a toll. I can feel it in, in my body. I can feel it in my in my uh, emotional state, mental state, all the things that go along with that, uh, because these things do weigh on on uh, the individual very heavily. But the flip side is, you surround yourself with a great team, and the team will keep you in check. But ultimately, that opportunity to really search out uh, different thoughts, different uh, ideas and run those scenarios and try to get a handle on what those risks are, right? There's gonna be criticism. You know, that was the, the basis of your question. Okay, are we okay with that? Am I willing to take that risk? And the individual risk tolerance varies, right? But if you have enough really smart and diverse thinkers around you, they can give you, a, they can anticipate and give you a lot of the outcomes that are going to be out there, right? And then you weigh, as the leader, you weigh the, the amount of risk tolerance that you're going to, to take on based on whatever decision you make. So I think, you know, those three uh, in that order, I think are, are really important for me.
0: So Michael, uh, peeking around the corner, uh, what do you see as the next uh, ethical challenge facing government, whether that's at the local, state, or federal levels?
2: I think, uh, Paul, the, the in-depth discussion of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think that it really is, is the future and the ethical challenge that, that will face government. Um, and by the way, I have a suspicion that it's not just government. I think it will face virtually every aspect of our lives, I think that as you dissect what that means, oftentimes we think of diversity and equity in terms of uh, racial uh, or social justice conversations. Uh, And I like to think of it even broader terms than that, which is diversity of thought. And so there's perspective, right? Um, And as I mentioned earlier, the the most dangerous thing for a leader is to surround yourself with like-minded people, right? People that look like you, think like you, Act like you, and 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 all of a sudden you end up uh, almost uh, in a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, that it's like everybody's patting each other on the back, right? And the diversity conversation, the equity conversation, the included, inclusion conversation has varied levels uh, within an organization, at least at least as I've been able to to think it through, and one of the fundamental pieces is the lens, right? The, the, what I'll call the equity lens. And it's not just in, oftentimes we think of it in terms of hiring, but in my world, it's also um, how we invest, right? There have been pockets of disinvestment investment uh, within the community and you can drive around and you can see it and you can ask yourself, why did this occur? There's great reasons for it, right? It doesn't mean they're right? doesn't mean that they're good reasons, right? But they're, 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 they're out there and we could point to them and say that that those are, that's how it happened. It's explainable, okay? So what do you do about it, right? How do we address that going forward? And that's the challenge, all right? So I'll give you an example uh, that, that is is weighing on me, all right? So if we agree that there has been disinvestment in the past in some areas, okay, we, we point to them. You can physically see them. What that basically means is that in order to overcome that disinvestment, they need those areas need uh, a higher level of investment today than they had in the past. Fine, uh, but all of a sudden that means that those resources come from another area, and it's all of a sudden it's like time out here. You know, wait a minute. Uh, what does that look like, and how do we truly go back in this? We'll call it fairness model that we were accustomed to right where everybody gets an equal share uh well when you look at it from a historic standpoint it really calls that into question right and so one of the challenges that we face in government is overcoming that historic perspective and and my opinion is the future will look like a conversation that includes that where everybody sits around and says okay here are here are the knowns, right? We here are the facts that we agree on. So what do we do about it going forward? Not not today, not not in the next year's budget, but the next five years or ten years. What does it look like to overcome some of that? Because keeping in mind that this this conversation, although recent, what led up to it is many years of we'll call it disinvestment or in in the lack of equity lens in in those conversations. So it's it's difficult to say to someone, well, we need to change it tomorrow. We need to change it right this second. Um, I'm okay with the conversation around it it evolving that way. But I think the more powerful and sustainable model is to look at it in a five or 10 year horizon, where then we can be having a conversation about and a framework and then moving it in that direction. The other thing that I will tell you, which is really fascinating uh, to me is the use of social media. I think an ethical challenge facing governments, facing our, our society is the use of social media, right? Should should we even be on social media? I'm talking as the government, right? Should we have a Facebook page? Well, of course we should, because that's how people get their news. Real, really? Maybe that's part of the problem, right? So, So those are the kinds of things that we've we've been thinking about and talking about um, and, and it's an exciting time to be a part of it because the world is changing uh, and it's changing for a variety of reasons. Um, and I think uh, part of it is, you know, how do we take advantage of it? Going back to the, the, the point I made earlier, how do we take advantage of it and do something amazing? Govern like no other, right? Govern like never been done before.
0: You know, Michael, as I listen to you, uh, describe this challenge. Uh, both you and I know that this is something that's front and center, uh, not just with government, but also nonprofits and, and business. And it's it's really interesting what you said because the diversity part seems to really be uh, an area that 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 many leaders latch onto. Right? You can do a pre and a post test if you look at the you know composition of your organization and. You know, you could come in one day and say, we need to move the needle on more representation with X, Y, and Z, and, and that can be done, right? The inclusion part is where it gets to be really difficult because that gets to the organizational culture, right? So if you bring in all this diversity of of, of thought and, and, and experience, et cetera, and yet your organizational culture is anything but inclusive, that's when really good people leave, if you will. The the equity part, I thought you just offered a tremendous benefit to everyone. You know, we've all, I think, have been raised with this idea that, you know, when you think of equity, it's about treating people the same. But in reality, both you and I know it's not. It's about treating people fairly. And, And that fairness is where kind of the rubber meets the road, right? That's where, you know, you may have to make decisions and take actions that, for some people, is going to be very much appreciated. and For others, is is not. So, I, I just really wanted to kind of echo uh, your your challenge
1: that you raised, uh, Michael. Did you have a follow up? I do actually. I'd be very curious to know, Michael, um, as the city manager, who you know is directly responsible for overseeing all of the staff of the city. Um, you obviously work very closely with the elected officials in the city, the council, and the mayor. And when it comes to issues of investment and diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, do you feel like you face different pressures than the elected officials face? And do you ever find yourself uh, in conflict with those officials or with the pressures that they face when it comes to fulfilling your vision for um, the city and how it responds to these diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives?
2: Another great question from Michael. I think it's the name Michael. Certainly. (laughs) no, No doubt. No doubt. (laughs) <laughs> so, so first and foremost, um, the role that, that I see myself playing is one of implementation of policy. And so I certainly can guide, I certainly can give thoughts and ideas in that. Um, but ultimately, the, the guidance, the policy guidance comes from the elected. So I, I stay focused on that. So if the elected's uh, policy is to you know have a conversation around... A specific topic, then I help and facilitate that and make sure that that's occurring and that's implemented. When it comes to the the uh, diversity, equity, inclusion conversation, it's easy. Those are three words that are easy to say, right? Uh, But when you have a culture, and I'm not talking about just an organizational culture, but you know, society as a whole, uh, that if I say diversity, equity, and inclusion, that you'll get varying definitions varying approaches you know all of the things that go along with with uh, something that really hasn't been discussed to the level that we're discussing today and quite frankly moving towards implementing uh, it, it we've never seen this type of, of uh, uh, and I'll use the term commitment because I do see it as a huge commitment on the part of the City Council and, and the mayor so when when we start to go down this path um, the investment piece is mechanical, right? So if you think about, you have X amount of dollars and I divide them up, you know, divide them by some denominator and all of a sudden you come up with some some number. Where the policy comes in is a deeper conversation about where the needs are, right? How do you put metrics to those needs, right? So, So some of that's mechanical, some of it's tactical, other strategic. And so, you know, my favorite example is when I was a kid. I, I grew up in, in Douglas, uh, Arizona, over on the border, and we had no curbs or sidewalks. We had a, a strip of, I guess you could call it pavement out in front of our house. We are happy as clams; didn't know any different, right? Uh, down the road, a little more affluent uh, neighborhood had, you know, nice paved streets, curbs, sidewalks. They could, you know, skateboard and do whatever on the sidewalks. And it wasn't until years later that I saw there was a, a movement to pave our to, to have uh, uh, curbs and sidewalks. So then I started thinking about that in this context of today, right? Uh, well, obviously and clearly, they needed to at that time invest additional dollars along the street where where my parents still lived, uh, as opposed to other streets. And that was an open conversation that some people really wrinkled their nose and said, well, wait a minute, we pay more taxes than, than these folks do because, you know, our property values are, are greater than, than these folks that don't have the curb and sidewalk, right? So the conversation then in our, in our today is one of openness and it's the open dialogue it goes back to the conversation that I had about the transparency and, and the humility and all the, the, the things that we'll call them the facets of, of leadership. That isn't just with the staff, that's also with the city council and the mayor and with the community. And not everybody's going to agree, not everybody's going to like that discussion, but it's one that needs to happen. And that then will set the stage for what the future looks like and and moves us down the path.
0: Michael, could you give us as our uh, final question, a sentence that captures your philosophy on ethical leadership?
2: A sentence. Wow. You put some <laughs> pressure on me now, man. So I wasn't stressed at all. throughout this whole thing. But now that you've said that, I'm like a sentence. Wow. So I actually, uh, and thank you for sharing the questions. Cause that helps. Right. Um, I had thought about that, but you didn't say a sentence. How about
0: a sentence or two? I'll give you a sentence, a sentence or two.
2: I think uh, Paul and Michael, uh, by creating a safe and ethical environment, you stimulate creativity and innovation in your organization.
0: Excellent, excellent. Mr. Ortega, I wanna thank you uh, for your candidness and time today. Uh, we all learned a great deal from you. I'd also like to thank my uh, colleague, Michael Fricky and our podcast producer, Mariah Brown. Uh, we look forward to everyone joining us for our next episode. Please follow us at, on Twitter at uarizona_cle. underscore CLE. Good day.